All right, welcome in Cube Show Podcast, a college football podcast. Usually comes to you on Sunday. My apologies for that. We had a pretty busy day on Sunday getting back from Atlanta, the SEC championship game. We had a church performance. We had a karate tournament. We had Santa, and I had to fly to Charlotte. So um, even though it was only one game, just tough to get it in, getting prepared for the last Read and React tonight on the SEC Network. Please tune into that one. It's been so much fun uh, with Roman. Uh, You'll see our Christmas sweaters that we got going tonight. Uh, You'll be able to check that out. So SEC Championship game, and then we'll do a little college football playoff. Uh, Maybe a few things on the bowls. We'll have time to preview those bowls games. We're not going to spend a ton of time on that one. Um, as you guys know, uh, we're brought to you each and every week by Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. Uh, always appreciate them being title sponsor of the show, wickelspickles.com. You can pick them up in your local grocery store. Promo code CUBE, save 20% at wickelspickles.com. Uh, you can go to at Wickles Pickles on Instagram. They got all kinds of recipes, different ideas that you can use them for. It is fantastic. Check them out. We love them. We snack on them. They are great. All right. Um, here we go. So 27-24 Alabama gets the win. And some of the worst case scenarios come true for the college football playoff committee. Let's focus on this game first. Um, a lot of the things that we talked about last week were big factors in this game. Georgia on offense initially. I want to start there. I love the plan right out of the gate from Mike Bobo. Um, first play, play action, quick distribution to Brock Bowers. Uh, you come back, you motion your back out. Alabama's in that odd front that we've heard a lot about. So Dallas Turner has to come out in space. He's not out far enough. You get quick ball distribution again, make the play. You go to the little wing formation with two H-backs, play action. You bootleg out, so you move the pocket. There's a deliberate throw that Carson Beck is able to make right there on the sideline to Ladd McConkey. The touchdown run is one of either one or two times that Alabama brought more than four. Tate Rattledge, the guard, does a nice job on that blitzing linebacker. Van Pran climbs up to the second level, Milton in for the score. So what you got early was different formations, movement, both shifts and motions, steal and play with some of the eyes of those Alabama defenders, quick ball distribution, make like, e- like e- easy on Carson Beck, get those defenders running both directions, east and west. I love that part of it. Even added a little tempo early in the game. And some of that kind of dipped off a little bit. Now, when I was calling the game, uh, with Dave Neal, I thought it felt like they got completely away from it. I just didn't feel like I saw a lot of the stuff that I saw in that first drive and felt like they just became sort of a drop-back team. But after I've watched the film two or three more times, I, I realized Bobo did keep some of that stuff in. I still got away from it to an extent, uh, but that run game wasn't going to be there. So I do think some of that was going to be predicated and built off the rushing attack that just wasn't there. So you, you can't continue to go down that road if what your, your foundation essentially is not going to be there for you to build on. Um, an offensive line injury, you know, obviously pretty big for Georgia as well. Um, when you think about the fact that Mims goes out, then you have to slide trust back over to right tackle. That was a little bit problematic. Bowers, not hundred percent. McConkey, I think was a little bit less than Bowers was. It didn't appear as though Bowers was struggling too much. Lad, you saw him kind of limp off the field a little bit, but man, he got a gutsy performance because he came back in later and made a couple big catches. Um, but the offensive line, I, I didn't think was anywhere close to dominant. Um, didn't really move that group around. The protection was hit and miss. Sometimes the protection was fantastic. Other times it felt like Turner and Braswell got home off the edge or you had a guy inside get a little swim move and be able to make a play or be able to force Carson Beck to move or leave the pocket. Um, some of that quick distribution changed 
though, when Alabama went down to that even front and started playing split safeties because they just had more def- – I mean, think about it. It's a numbers game. They had more defenders to be able to make plays out in space. They weren't as dedicated to the line of scrimmage. And I actually talked to Coach Saban after the game, and, and he told me, he's like, I didn't think we'd be able to stop the run in that split safety look. And, you know, I kind of referenced back to him, when you went to that Ole Miss game, when you went to the Tennessee game, when you went to – the Georgia Tech game, a lot of those defenders were moving out of gaps. A lot of run stunts that weren't being filled back properly, and that opened up some big rush lanes. So it was a hell of a performance by Alabama, making some of those adjustments and then defensively being able to get home when they needed to. Alabama tackled really well. There was very little run after catch for for Georgia in this game. Uh, you You had the two big explosive plays down the field, one a little bit thrown behind, um, and Aaron Smith makes that catch where you had to kind of look back and get it. Uh, but there just there, there wasn't there weren't a lot of big chunk plays, and there weren't a lot of quick throws that turned into chunk plays. Malachi Moore played a great game, slipping blocks a couple of times. Deontay Lawson played fantastic football. Uh, Jihad Campbell had a good game, and I tell you, Trez Marshall, you can tell he was going up against his former team because he looked like he had a mat on. I mean, he played pissed off in that game, and you could tell. Um, but the Alabama secondary did a great job. There, there weren't many opportunities with wide open receivers for Carson Beck. There, there were three or four, two or three, but just not a ton, not consistently. And I think that was part of that plan that they moved to was to be able to say, we're not just going to give up explosive plays and try to make them dink and dunk, try to make them work. And you got a fumble on a sort of a trick play, which I don't really understand in that point in time where you were, why you're running that. Um, and then you, know, you got a couple of big stops. And, you know, both those punters had heavy workloads and, uh, you know, probably more workload than they're used to having for the majority of the season. Defensively for Alabama, you know, they, they weren't very complicated. But the read and react that you got from the linebackers was fantastic. Safeties. Here's the other part. Cooley McKinstry goes out. How valuable Trey Amos and Jalen Key out of the portal from Louisiana and UAB. Those guys stepped in and played very meaningful reps and made some big plays. Terry on Arnold had a huge game. I know he had the one interference, and that was a good throw and a good play by Beck to be able to test it because when I saw that play, I immediately thought, I bet they knew he was getting handsy, and if they saw that back shoulder, they wanted to throw it and test him right away because they probably knew they could get either a flag or a catch. So that was a good play there. It was a good thought. Um, but going back, I thought Bobo still called a good game. Um, it's just some of the things that they needed to show up just, just weren't there. Protection at certain points in time running backs, breaking a tackle or two, run after catch, like the extra things for Georgia just really weren't there. Um, you know, and then too, I think uh, with some of the Alabama players, like going back and I watched it again today, actually in here, I watched multiple plays with Roman Harper and Takeo Spikes. I love picking their brains because they're defensive guys and they see things different than I do. I said, I want you to see this play. And I brought this play by Deontay Lawson. And he's literally pointing out, he's like doing this, He's making like an angle movement with his finger and the back's offset to the right. So it looks it looks like he's saying, hey, inside zone here. And then he, I promise you, he starts waving his hand over and then the back flips to the other side. He bumps over and starts doing the angle the other way to essentially say inside zone here. And that's what play it was. He was diagnosing and pointing things out the entire game. And I don't know if he knew plays. I don't know if he had a beat on certain things, but like, the film study was obviously there for Deontay Lawson. Like he, there were a lot of things that he knew were, were, was coming. And I'm not trying to say anything nefarious was happening. I'm just telling you, like, he was diagnosing what he was seeing very, very well. I mean, it was elite. 
And Spikes even said it. He was like, man, that dude sees something. Like he knows this and this and this. And Roman talking about it too. They both agreed that like he's he obviously is prepared for this game uh, in a major way. Um, so I, I just think that the catch and run needed to be there. We talked last week, the quick game had to be there for Carson Beck and it wasn't enough. And the run game wasn't going to be enough. And, and I had a pretty good feeling that that wasn't just going to happen because it hadn't just been happening against those other teams. That was the mindset that people got into, but I'm telling you, it was wrong. The people who thought that this downhill rushing attack for Georgia had just all of a sudden started to show up. It was BS, man. Like those defenses were giving it to them. Now they executed and took it. That's fine. But Alabama wasn't going to play them that way. They just weren't. They were not going to play them that way. So I, I you know, I, I thought still there was enough up front for Carson Beck to be able to do some things. And he missed maybe two or three throws, but I thought he was fairly sharp most of the day. 21 of 29, 243, uh, two touchdowns, no picks. Um, there weren't many mistakes. You know, trying to get you're chasing points late, and you come down and you do the hurry up to quarterback sneak, which worked earlier in the game. I honestly don't know why you didn't hurry up and run it again, run quarterback sneak again. But you end up having to go a couple more plays, and you took you know a minute and a half or whatever it was off the clock. You just didn't need to do that. Um, the play to Bond where he doesn't get in the end zone, and Alabama runs another couple minutes off the clock. I thought that was extremely beneficial for Alabama. Um, also thought like the one, there was one big play call that I questioned from Tommy Reese. And I think there was 12 and a half minutes left. Bam was up by 10, backed up, second down, Milrow takes the sack. I actually said it to Dave Neal on our broadcast. I said, this is the point in the game where there's enough time left that offensive coordinators tend to think they still, we still need to run our whole offense. Like we still need to throw the ball. We still need to, oh, we still got to have this and get cute sometimes. To me at that point, that, when you're up two scores, that's when you begin to compress the game. Like compress the game and then put the added pressure on your opponent. And that sack ended up being, remember, the shorter punt that was returned. By the way, that's the first time I've seen Georgia do the two returners like that where yeah, the guys were like right behind one another. That was pretty slick, by the way. I like that return. It ended up being a big play. Then they get the field position score. They're in the game. You could have gotten that thing under 10 minutes and had better field position and let your defense work and your defense was humming. So just one thought there, and I understand like you're, he's being aggressive. He's trying to win the game. Um, but to follow that up, I thought Tommy Reese called a hell of a game. Um, Jalen Milrow had nine zone read keeps the entire season coming into this game on the year. And then all of a sudden, they go three and out. I think they went three and out, three and out. First couple drives, stall, stall, stall. And you could tell Tommy Reese was like, screw it, man. Like, we got to go to it. We didn't know if we were going to have to lean on it. And I talked to some guys on the staff before the game, and they said, we have it. Jalen's still not great at it. Um, If you listen after the first episode of this season, when I was in Tuscaloosa week one, I told you the story about how the staff said he can't take snaps underneath and he's not good with the mesh. Well, he's grown. He's gotten better in a lot of different ways. And I think Tommy said, you know what? Screw it, man. We got to go with it. We got to do it. Quarterback counter early with the tight end split coming with it and the motion coming with it, who turned into two lead blockers. Then they ran it again where the back, I think it was Law, he turned into a lead blocker with it as well. They ran it another time where Oots shows split, does his little pirouette 360 spin thing and comes back out in front of it. So multiple ways to run quarterback power, quarterback counter which, by the way, 
for you play by play guys out there, every time the quarterback takes a direct snap and runs a ball, it's not fucking quarterback counter or quarterback power, excuse me. So get that straight and, and have an understanding of what the difference is between quarterback inside zone, quarterback counter, quarterback power, zone read. Just because the quarterback keeps the ball doesn't mean it's quarterback power. Um, so also, they come back and actually work the mesh. And Jalen keeps it. And we're going to talk about this on Read and React tonight. You'll be able to see it really easy. What you saw was those Georgia defensive ends, the guys on the end of the line of scrimmage that have been playing so nasty downhill, have been playing flat and literally just teeing off on those blockers. They stopped doing that. They started playing a little more straight up. Or they started staying home. Or when they played down, that replacement linebacker had to come over the top and have contain because you couldn't just be aggressive for no reason anymore because now you see the threat can get you on the perimeter because they already got him a couple times. To take it a step further, you saw some of those Georgia linebackers just freaking flying out of the box when the back was offset to the right. Now, yes, they, you had splitters in motion guys coming, and that pulled their eyes too, but not to this extent, not the way I saw them jumping. You pulled a couple of those, and the quarterback's back to his right, so he has the ability to fake that and run to the right, and those backers were screaming out there. All of this comes down to the threat of the quarterback run and the threat of the quarterback zone read. So now our edge defenders are playing different. Okay, Our linebackers are flying a little bit more because there's one play that I'm going to highlight for you tonight where those linebackers fly out, and it's a traditional handoff that goes for like 10 yards. There's nobody home. It's not there. There's another run play inside where Shambly comes down. He's the crasher on the edge. He's trying to crash the mesh. Here comes Robbie Oots. They trade paint. Oots gets the better of the deal. The replacement linebacker over the top comes to play contain off that side. Guess who's in the B-gap? Nobody. Nobody's there. That run goes for like six or eight yards. Tommy Reese was masterful with how he used different things in the run game to set the other things up. And I'll say Jalen wasn't great throwing the football. 15, 13 of 23, 192 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. I had the one corner route to Bond, I believe, where he caught it like a yard out of bounds. That would have been a hell of a throw. That would have been a big-time throw. Um, Isaiah Bond, 5 for 79. The drive, he catches four balls. Now you start catching Georgia in some zone stuff, and they run the triple crossers, and Georgia can't really keep up with it because you're wasting a corner and a safety backside, and Miller's got a little extra time, and he just dumps it down to Bond. Bond did scramble drill one time and rerouted back to the right, and he caught the one pass. but. I mean, they, they had some things drawn up that were fantastic. I want to go back to one guy that I just mentioned too, Robbie Oots. He hadn't gotten a lot of credit this year. There have been a lot of people talking about him. Robbie Oots played his ass off in this game. Robbie Oots had an amazing game. The touchdown pass to Jam Miller, that's Robbie Oots who gets inside release on the defensive end who doesn't get a good jam on him. He's able to run up and cut off that linebacker who makes contact with him, and he raises his hands. You can see him. He's like, I didn't do it. Well, that linebacker needed to get out to go cover Jam Miller, and he couldn't, so he's wide open, and he goes into the end zone. Robbie Utz had some big plays in the run game. He had two big plays in the pass game where he occupied defenders to allow a receiver to be open. One of those was on one of those bond plays I was talking about. So those guys had good games by far. The best game the Alabama offensive line has played this year. Not even close. That group was dominant. And I'm going to tell you right now, 
We're going to have a block party tonight on Read and React. I'm sorry, this is not like a full promo for Read and React, but it just keeps coming up because we talked about all this stuff already today. There's no way in hell I would have thought that we could have an entire segment of the block party giving you blocks that are the highlights of the week from one game against Georgia and Alabama. Now, they've had good enough offensive linemen, yes, but never in a million years would I have thought that one of those two offensive lines would have pushed the other D-line around. Like, that shit doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. They had these guys airborne. Literally throwing guys out the club in the air, tossing them. The double teams were insane. You know, some of the slam techniques from Latham pounding down on defensive linemen. And the one that Jaden Roberts was called for holding, I, I don't understand that one. That, that's one that's beyond me. I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't see that one. Um, that one didn't compute with my brain. But they had a couple of those that were big. Um, Latham and Roberts were nasty. Booker and Proctor had a couple over there. I mean, that group was kicking ass and taking names. It's as physical performance against a Georgia defensive line as I've seen in years. And it's a big reason why they won the game, because they needed to lock some things down late, and they did. Uh, they ran the read, toss, and Milrow passed out of it earlier in the game, and that's the one. He gave a great fake, by the way. Great fake on the read toss, pull it, get north and south, backers flying out again, and then whoop, he's up there, and that, that shuts it down. And that quarterback counter again, quarterback counter was the play that he gets outside and goes and runs um, early on to keep that drive going to help milk some clock towards the end of the game. Uh, Bond, fantastic. All the offensive linemen played great. Um, Milrow was good. So good with his legs, really good in the read game, pretty good decisions. They only had a couple picks that they dropped in this game. Uh, Terry on Arnold played great. Thought he was fantastic in this game. Alabama was a more physical team. They were the better team. They executed the things that they needed to do to win this game. And it wasn't super clean always. But I thought from the standpoint of who knew where to be to be able to defend and who brought more to the table on who to block, when, and where? Alabama had the advantages in all of those. So they get the SEC championship. They are your SEC champions, and they get into the college football playoff. Uh, this is a whole another different discussion. Michigan is the one seed. I'm fine with Michigan being the one. I don't think their schedule is that great either. Um, Michigan's best win would be an 11-1 Ohio State. You beat a 10-win Iowa team. Um, you beat a 9-win UNLV team, which is actually a good win. Um, I'm fine with Washington. I think Washington's a really good football team. Their offensive line is better than they get credit for. Dylan Johnson's a really good back. They got big time wide receivers. Pennix is great. I think their front seven's above average, better than people think. But you know, you beat an 11 win Oregon team twice. You beat a nine and three Arizona team on the road. That's a good Arizona team. You beat an eight win Utah team. Uh, you beat USC on the road, seven win football team. Beat an eight win Boise team that won their conference. It's a good. It's a good resume. Texas's resume was was really good. Maybe best or second best win of the college football season winning in Tuscaloosa. You beat the SEC champions at their place. Um, I know you lost to Oklahoma, a 10-win football team. You beat an 8-win Wyoming team. Beat an 8-win Kansas team. Beat an 8-win K-State team. Beat a 9-win Oak State team to be Big 12 champions. Like that's, that's more than enough, I think. The big part, though, is when you look at teams below 500 that they knocked off, like Oklahoma had Baylor, Houston, BYU, TCU, or Texas did. Alabama had Middle Tennessee, 
Mississippi State, Arkansas. That's it. Teams below 500. Florida State, Boston, uh, Southern Miss, Wake, Pitt, North Alabama, Florida. Teams below 500 that they knocked off. Um, it's hard for me to sit here and have this conversation and not think Georgia's one of the best four teams in the nation. That's my opinion. I've watched every snap of every game that they've played. I think Florida State has really good receivers. I think Florida State has an average offensive line with much better talent than they're used to having. I think Florida State has an elite defensive line. I think they have a good secondary, a good group of linebackers. I think they had a really good quarterback, and they have really good running backs. Um, I don't know if I can just sit here and say, regardless of what happened and how it happened, that Georgia's not better than that football team. I think they are. I think Alabama's better than that football team. Um, but I think the committee wasn't going to get this right either way. There was no right. There is no right. There is no wrong because there's going to be large portions of the college football world stratosphere that aren't going to like it. And they're going to be pissed off about it and mad about it. Um, I do think it's interesting how a lot of people are now picking and choosing what to be pissed off about. Um, there are a lot of people now that are just on this, hey, when you win all your games, you're in, right? Talk to 04 Auburn. They won all their games. Talk to 2017 UCF. They won all their games. Where are all you guys pounding the table for Liberty? They're undefeated. They won all their games. They won their conference. And I know they're not Power Five. But this is the system that we live in. It's not always right. It's not always going to get it right. It's not set up to get it right. And there's going to be even more of this next year when we get three and four lost teams in and people are going to be mad about that. And there's multiple teams from certain conferences that get in and people don't like that. But there's just not a part of me that can sit here and tell you that I truly believe Florida State is a better football team than Michigan, than Washington, than Texas or Alabama or even Georgia. I think there's a real case for Georgia to be in, but you're not going to put them ahead of Alabama because of, because of what they accomplished and what they are. I don't think you put them ahead of Texas. Texas has as good weapons as anybody in college football. Texas' defense is unbelievable. The team gives up less than 90 yards rushing a game. They held five opponents under 10 yards rushing this season. Best third down defense in college football. Don't just think Texas is a quarterback and a receiver. Big time, big time backs, big time tight end. One of the better linebackers in college football. Texas is a good team. It's not a couple of good players. It's not real. And I just read you their resume. They have, they have really good wins this year. Um, I think Michigan is a solid football team, maybe one of the more well-rounded teams, but their offense scares the shit out of me the last couple of weeks. They have a tackle problem right now, and they have a balance problem right now. D-line's really good. Love them. think they're great. Receivers more juice than we're used to seeing. Offensive line has fallen off a little bit the last couple of weeks, but they're a great team, as is Georgia. As is Georgia. I think Georgia's offensive line is really good. We know about the weapons. Rara, Bowers, McConkey, some in, some out. Milton's been really good down the stretch. Great linebacker play. Your best one's banged up. Maybe the best secondary in college football. And those guys, by, by the way, those guys showed it in this game too. I didn't really get to them. Uh, Tyke Smith made some good plays. Bullard was incredible again. Just unbelievable again. Made a bunch of great plays. Um, but 
it's hard for me to not sit here and say that I don't think they're one of the four best teams. So what do you go by? Is it what these teams have accomplished? Is it their resume? Is it eye test? How do you weigh it? Did you earn it? Because you can't have all of those. If you want the best four, the only qualifiers are who that committee thinks is best. There is no accomplishment that makes you one of the best four. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that's the way it should be. I'm just telling you that's what it is. It's what it's been. I don't know what's confusing about it. There, and it's one of the things that has frustrated me about this is that certain teams, not so much this year, but you see it coming. You know what's going to happen. You knew it was going to happen this year with a couple of teams that when they slap that whatever champion next to their name, whoop, all of a sudden, totally different perception of that team. They won one game. Should it? Like Alabama beating Georgia should change your opinion about them greatly. That's the team that has been number one for the majority of the weeks this year. That should change your opinion. Texas handling Oak State, their rear end, meh, a little bit. But just because now it's his Big 12 champions doesn't mean you should automatically elevate them to number one. They're a good football team and they were before that. Same thing with Michigan. Did your perception of Michigan change greatly because they're Big 10 champions? No, your perception of Michigan changed because they kept winning and doing the things they've been doing all year. So just because Florida State is ACC champions doesn't automatically mean you're one of the best four teams in college football. It doesn't. I hate it for the kids. It sucks because they did what a lot of people had told them they had to do to have a chance. Is it right? I don't know. I don't know what right and wrong is because it's not set up definitively. It's not set up in a black and white manner to be right here and wrong there. It's set up with a lot of gray area, just like the committee utilized their rankings all year. I thought we would get a hard reset. I thought with Oregon out, the team that they had to make excuses for, the team that they had to self-correct on, the team that they had to make sure they weren't wrong on from weeks 8, 9, 10, 11, they had to keep propping them up because they didn't want to be wrong. Once Oregon lost, I thought that would give us a hard reset all the way across the board. Not as much as maybe I anticipated, but you got a little bit of it, and that's why Alabama goes up and Georgia goes down. No team had ever gone from one to out. No undefeated conference champion in the Power Five had never gotten in. So there are a lot of firsts that are taking place with this thing. But we haven't had the chaos. We haven't had a lot of the teams causing a lot of the other problems that we had had some other years. So that's what it is. Um, I thought Alabama did a great job with their plan in this game. They had some players make some plays. But coaching was a big part of this one. It's a big part of why Nick Saban and his staff won this game. Uh, there weren't a ton of big mistakes on either side, honestly. Um, like I said, I thought some of Georgia's plan went away in the middle and then came back. Tempo was something Georgia used early that was really good and beneficial and then kind of came back late. Um, but Alabama made those adjustments defensively. You've heard Nick Saban say it. They went away from the odd front to the even front, played 40, so more cover four. They weren't going to give up the explosive plays. It worked. It helped them out. It was a big part of why they won. Now they get Michigan. We have plenty of time to preview that game, but on the first thought, um, I think Alabama has some real advantages. Athletically, I think they have an advantage. Speed-wise, they have an advantage. Michigan's umph is not – it doesn't hit you as hard as it has the last couple of years. I think Alabama can offset that and handle that. Um, some of the other SEC bowl games quickly. A&M Oak State. I mean, is Ollie Gordon going to play? in the Tax Act Bowl. And I have no idea what to expect from A&M. Walter Nolan's in the portal. Apparently Evan Stewart goes in the portal today. 
I mean, uh, Max Johnson's already gone. He's going to North Carolina. Your interim coach is going to Syracuse to be the DC. Like, I, I don't even, I don't even know. Like, what, what are we even going to get? Um, I love Elko, but I just don't even know how you manage that thing. Kentucky Clemson could be really good. Um, that Kentucky offensive line going to have their handful, even with Trotter gone to the NFL. Nate Wiggins gone. R.J. Mickens gone. I don't think any of those are going to play in the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Um, I think Kentucky has a chance. Ray Davis already saying he's going to the NFL. I'm assuming he's not going to play. I don't definitively know. But when the guys put the graphics out and say they're going to the NFL, I just assume they're done. It's a pretty safe assumption. Missouri and Ohio State. Once again, who the hell's playing for Ohio State? Cade Stover going to play. Marvin Harrison going to play. Travion Henderson going to play. Starting quarterback's already in the portal. He's out. He's done. He's gone. So, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. Two defensive ends that are both going to probably be picked pretty early. Are they playing? I think Missouri plays most everybody. I like Missouri to win that game. I'll go ahead and pick Missouri in the Cotton Bowl. There, you got it. Uh, Ole Miss, Penn State, Peach Bowl could be a lot of fun. Don't know if Penn State's seen a team go this fast. Um, Ole Miss offensive line will have their hands full because that defensive front can get after you. And Penn State can run the ball. When Penn State wants to go power, they they can be pretty good at it. And that Ole Miss front is going to have to withstand that. They'd be super aggressive, taking guys out of gaps again. They, that might not work so well. Um, and they have to pressure the quarterback. Because when that kid does not pressure, he's pretty good. Drew Aller. Uh, Auburn, Maryland, Music City Bowl. Um, I'm assuming Talia is going to play. Auburn secondary matches up well. Can you generate any points? That would be the thing for me. I think Auburn can have – Auburn's got a good chance to run the ball and have some success in that game. Be, be good to finish above 500 and get that win, some momentum going into the offseason. Georgia, Florida State, once again, number one, who cares? And number one, who's in? Georgia's a better football team. If, it's, if all things are even, I'll take Georgia. Put Jordan Travis in, I'll take Georgia. Better football team, in my opinion. But I don't know who's going to play, who's not going to play. Ladd going to play? Brock going to play? No idea. Jared Verse going to play? I don't know. Braden Fisk going to play? Mm-hmm. Johnny Coleman going to play? I don't, I don't know. Patrick going to play? I don't know. So it's, that's a tough one. Wisconsin, LSU, um, even, with a, even with a trash defense, I like LSU to win that game. Because LSU's third, fourth, fifth receiver are better than Wisconsin's DBs. And I think LSU's second-string quarterback is pretty good, even if Jaden Daniels doesn't play. Iowa, Tennessee, Citrus Bowl. Um, Tennessee, can you find me a field goal? Just a field goal. Uh, Tennessee can come out in this game and let Joe Milton throw Hail Marys the entire game, and they'll win the game. There you go. Um, And we talked about Alabama Michigan. So here's what we're going to have coming up in the next few weeks. We will preview all the bowl games. We'll go in-depth. We'll talk about that. We'll talk more about the portal because that thing is going to be – it's already insane. It opened up today. It's completely nuts. We'll get into the who's and what's and where's and why's. When guys start making decisions, that's when I'll go watch their film and let you know what you're getting. Uh, but it is going to be easier for us to talk about guys who are going to be gone. Like Will Rogers, we know what he meant to that program. He's going to be gone. Vanderbilt, by the way, holy mother of God, they are decimated. I think 13 guys are in the portal already for Vandy, like 13 dudes. Savion Riley at safety, wide receiver Jaden McGowan, linebacker Ethan Barr, wide receiver Will Shepard. I mean, whew. productive guys, good players. Like this, that's not good at all. So, um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't understand how they overcome that. Like how they can even really figure that out. That's going to be absolutely brutal. Um, one thing that's not brutal, game time. Fast, easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, and comedy and theater events near you. Killer last-minute deals. All-in prices, views from your seat, and the best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Uh, listen, you get last-minute ticket, flash deals, zone deals. 
easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. And you get the views from your seats. That low price guarantee also is fantastic. You get the event cancellation protection, job loss protection as well from game time. It's fantastic. It's easy. Just go download the game time app, create an account, use code cube, C-U-B-E, and you get $20 off right away on your first purchase. Terms do apply. Again, create an account, redeem code CUBE, C-U-B-E, get $20 off. Download that Game Time app today. Go check it out and get started with Game Time. Any tickets that you need, I mean, listen, college football playoff is here. Bowl games are here. Basketball season in full effect. You want to go watch some of those. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event and even an hour after it starts. It's the place to find last-minute seats. Once again, go download the Game Time app. Use promo code CUBE to get $20 off your first purchase. So we'll talk a lot about more about coaching moves, uh, different guys going in and out. Um, you know, Jeff Lebby's staff starting to come together. Cody Kennedy is going to be the new offensive line coach there. He comes from Arkansas. I think that's a good get. Bobby Petrino, the offensive coordinator now at Arkansas. It's weird as hell, but hey, is what it is. Um, we'll talk more about some of those moves, uh, different things happening. Guys in the portal that are leaving, we'll assess that next week. Also, guys that are coming on to certain teams that commit. We'll let you know what you're getting. I'll go watch the film on everybody coming in. We did this last year. We'll do it again this year and talk about all that and get everything covered for you. Uh, and then we'll preview the bowl games as they're coming up. We'll probably save a few for the week before, let you know what you need to be ready for when your team is going to take on a certain opponent in a certain bowl game. But there's going to be a lot of news, a lot of stuff going on. We'll get to all of it. Uh, we might have some grades and some awards to give out for certain players over the course of the year. One award that we do need to give out, Blue Delta Denim, Blue Delta Jeans, best jeans you'll ever buy. Go to BlueDeltaJeans.com. Pick up some custom denim. Christmas right around the corner. I'll give you a little preview of the Christmas sweater that we're going to go with tonight. Uh, uh, almost saw it. BlueDeltaJeans.com, the most comfortable denim you'll ever wear. I've got them going right now. Yep, those are Blue Deltas. And they are breathable. They are flexible. They are fantastic. They are wonderful. Tell Nick and the guys you heard about Blue Delta Jeans right here on Cube Show. Please subscribe on YouTube. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening. We always appreciate that. Spread the word. Tell your friends about us. All the nice things everybody said walking around Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Thank you for that. I'm very appreciative. We'll be back next week. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.